Hello, and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust. Today we will be discussing the documentary What We Left Behind, looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. My name is Ethan, and I'm joined, as always, by the esteemed... Uh, Kevin. Available and... on Blu-ray, August 6th. Yes, now we saw this during its, I believe, one-night engagement one night in engagement. theaters. And, yes, theater engagement. Yes. and we just rewatched the Blu-ray now. So those who have pre-ordered it, um, they're beginning to arrive. But I think it arrives in store shelves on, and on Tuesday. Streaming and services streaming services for Tuesday. Yes. 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 So it's the first time we've done a documentary, a Trek documentary. Mm -hmm. But this one being new and being, um, you know, interesting take on a show that is not ignored, but maybe not. It doesn't have the relevance held and the in ties. high esteem. Yeah. Yes. What did, I, what did I say to you? It did not. Penetrate the cultural, the pop culture zeitgeist. I like that word, zeitgeist. Yes. Like or the original, the original series of Next Generation. Yes, and plus with all the so. the happenings now, right? There's no Deep Space Nine is not fitting into anything new that's happening. No, you know the original series no. is right. Um, Next Generation is right. Nothing, no Deep Space Nine. Voyager is Voyager on Picard. So. Yep, and yeah. we might, maybe we'll see something from this on Picard, but they've, if, no indication. If so they're holding that back. Mm -hmm. So the only love that Deep Space Nine is getting right now is from this documentary, right? So general impressions first. What do you think of the documentary? So what I like about it, and I, I tweeted this after we um, saw it, was that to me the documentary itself definitely felt like a major uh, labor of love. Right. Um, I really enjoyed the documentary and there wasn't, but I will say there wasn't much about the show behind the scenes wise that I didn't already know. I see. Yeah. I think. Um, I do wish they went into a little bit more detail on certain things like, like, you know, they didn't even touch upon trials and tribulations, which I thought would have been fantastic to talk about. That's a good point. Yeah. They don't, they don't that go into that That was a big one. deal. Yeah. It'll go into that one, and then I think what I would have liked to have known a little bit more about is sort of the the early days of the show as far as its inception is concerned. You know, where the idea came from, how the whole thing sort of began. Oh yeah, there's none of that. There's none of that, yeah. So, But I think that's the kind of stuff that you would expect in a documentary, and I think they kind of made it a point to not go in that, steer it in that direction. I agree, and I think that's what I love about this, is just like Deep Space Nine took Star Trek in a different direction, this, this documentary it. is so different than right. other documentaries. Right. And it has these little... It, it's The way it starts first, I'll just spoil the way it starts, but you will see that um, well, it, it's very unique. And it starts with uh, you know a, a quartet of singers mm -hmm. singing a song that has nothing to do with Star Trek. Well, they it's... Yeah, but they put in some. They Star put in some Star Trek yeah. lyrics, yeah. And but the way the segments are, it's Jeffrey Combs, Max Rodencheck, Armin Shimmerman, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. James. Is it James Darren? Is he there too? Who's he the fourth one? I think so. Yeah. No, Andrew Robinson. I'm sorry. <coughs> um, and what I love is at one point Ira Bear says, when he talked to Avery Books about doing a documentary, Avery Books told him, "You can't have talking heads in the documentary. You got to do something different." And that's when he came up with the idea the of how... That, the thing is you can hear every saying that, too. Yeah. I do an okay Avery, I think. Um, so then... But you can yes, see you how that comes just out. just like him. <laughs> just the voice. Yeah. Um, so, 
But the biggest thing, so you have these animated bits when yep. they ha- we actually bring back writers. In there. That's the best part. The of best the part. So you get to watch the writers break. Uh, you know, they do they do like a Picard to it, where twenty years later, what would the show be now? Right. And they actually write the whole first episode, and parts of it are animated mm-hmm. for you. Right. The story. The storyboards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that's great. We'll we'll get more into it, but just general impressions. So right. I, I love that. I love, they Ooh. have, so anyone that's not familiar with our podcast, we have something from time to time called Hater's Corner, <laughs> where we yes. read people that hate mm-hmm. discoveries what it's been in the past, yeah. and we read their terrible comments, and we make fun of them and answer their criticisms, Right. and this documentary does Hater's Corner, and the mm-hmm. best thing is that we get to see that things have not changed much in Trek fandom, no. because people no. were In fact, I didn't, even, I didn't even know that people were that... Right. We didn't, I mean, I was... The internet was not as... I wasn't even in double digits yet in my, when the show first premiered. So that stuff was not even... And plus, this is the early 90s, right? So, like, even... And that was the only way to really express your hatred, was to send it in letters or read it in magazines. Right, like, so there we was no, There was no internet that we yeah. knew of. Maybe you would run it to someone at the comic book store. There were news groups, but I'm like, you know, I'm not on a news group. I'm yeah. seven years old. And they right? certainly weren't publishing the angry letters. But right. it's amazing that a lot of the, th- I swear, the same criticisms that we hear about Discovery now. Not that we're Discovery apologists. We right. recognize and we right. point out when we don't like things. But right. it, um, it's interesting. Like, this is not that. real Trek. Because what's validating about that is even as early as, um, even as recently as a couple days ago, I was on Twitter having sort of conversations with haters about how much people how somebody created a thread on uh, Twitter and was like you know just pointing out the discovery haters again and and so when I point and you know obviously you have the haters commenting on it and then I pointed to this what you left behind, what we left behind and the person who was kind of coming back at it was saying like um, well how do you know that people hated the show and hated Trek because I because my comment was you know, this every Trek series fell victim to every Trek series past the original series fell victim to this. Discovery is no different than I said. That's how actually how you know Discovery is in the family because people are hating on it so early on, saying it's not Trek. And the person, of course, is like, "Well, how do you know? Like, how do you know that people hated on the other shows?" And they were almost saying, "I'm just like, you know, social media didn't invent hate." <laughs> I said, people were still able to hate it back then. Just the methods of expressing that hate were not as widespread as they are now. It's, yeah, yeah. it's easier to, yeah, but you know, to receive that. Yeah, and I guess that it's part of the family. And I also get that in the documentary, Ira Barris even says, um, "If people aren't mad, then you're like not doing something interesting enough." Right. But what I have to also say to that, you know, my answer to that is, you also could make people say bad things because the show's bad. Doesn't just because you get hate mail doesn't right. mean that that means you're doing something interesting, right? You know, so right. It's a fine line. It's a fine line, and um, but it also speaks to Deep Space Nine itself because while it's a very sort of um, well, it may vary in opinion. I to me, it's it's sort of generally accepted that the first like two seasons, maybe. three, Maybe three, but I'd say two um, of the show are not that great. It's you know I, I feel like it's sort of unanimous that people agree that the show didn't get good until the Dominion showed up. Yeah, but there's right? a strange thing in the letters that they read. No one is talking about 
things like well, they don't timestamp it. They go don't along say, home or come along home. Well, they don't. They don't. And the thing is, they don't timestamp that. Right. right? right. They don't say like at what point in the series. Yeah, but here's the thing: they're not. Talking I think you're. About I think the it's story. assuming. Right. They're talking about things like oh, it's a soap opera. All they do is talk about their feelings. Like it's very weird stuff. But here's my favorite thing that I heard. Right. Was someone said that. Uh, Captain Sisko was too politically correct. Now, that is essentially the same thing as saying that nowadays when they say, oh, it's social justice warriors trying to make a show to do whatever. So, again, they've been saying that forever also. Which, why would anyone that doesn't have these, like, uh, egalitarian ideals be a Star Trek fan? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would imagine a lot of the hate stems from Really, from the show's like initial premise, because it's not on a ship. They're not boldly going where no one has gone before, and they're just kind of sitting there. And it's just it's so like, yeah, what is, you know, what is this? I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's an example of a show that was just very kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I guess that makes right. sense because they do set up an interesting story. I think with the Bajorans and everything, right? But I guess yeah, if they would be used to the Bajorans, would be one episode of Next Generation. And they would, right. they would go there, they would deal with it, they'd do something, and they'd leave. Then right, yet. right, exactly. So to set this up. But I think the simplest But you also have to way, separate it from the shows that came before it yes. also, right? So you can't just, In to Rick sim- Berman's point, you can't just do another no. show with a ship. Like, how, how are you going to set it apart from what came before? And, you know, if you want to be cynical, you could just look at it as, well, the only thing difference they made is that they're on a space station, and because there's a wormhole, the weird stuff comes to them instead of them going to it on a ship. Right. Which is not that different, really. Right, right. Um, but I really do... Yeah, my favorite portion of the documentary is them, the writers getting together and basically breaking a story for what would be the first episode of season eight. And It's amazing to watch. What's just great, great about it, writers What's great about together. it is, like, just from the beginning, when they're, when they're doing the tease, the opening tease, and, you know, they've got the storyboards to accompany it, they've got some music to accompany it, and even though you're just seeing... It's basically just a brainstorm session put to storyboards. And I am just like so into it, like just mm. as if I'm watching an episode. And then, you know, when it's it's that portion when the Defiant finally escapes, comes out of the wormhole, and then Ron, Ron Moore's like, cork, um, uh, Nog looks up and goes, oh, thank God. And it just pans up to the space station. And you hear like yeah, that, the, the softiest. Mm-hmm. And as I watch that, like, I just get like, I said to you, I'm like, yeah, it just gives you that warm, fuzzy. Like, I got chills. Yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, that's what I, that's what I miss. That's the trick I kind of miss. But I don't want to sort of hold that against the trek that we have now because this is not, it's not the same, and I don't think it's fair to, you know. Right. Well, the only thing that, and I've mentioned this on our podcast before for long time listeners, hmm. is that watching that, I saw great writers, great trick writers at work, mm-hmm. and it was amazing to see their process. Yeah, but my favorite thing about it, and yeah, I mean, the episode I watched, I was like, "That's a series I want to watch. I want CBS All Access to give them as much money as they need and go make it." And the funny thing is, just to kind of jump in for a second, is that it's also a case of they haven't written an episode of Trek since 1999, and yeah, they didn't know how to spell the Klingon homeworld, right? I mean, I, I don't, even, I don't. No, but I, I just think that's you know, but that was the a job time, for eight they years. haven't written an episode of Trek in 20 years, and. Yeah. You see them getting together, and it's like they—it's like a day hasn't passed. It's like they're—it's like we're right back, right? You know, it's like it's season eight, September of nineteen ninety-nine. We're yeah, watching yeah. this unfold, and I'm comics. sure they've all continued to write, and I'm sure they're all you know, right, even better writers now than they yeah, were. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
What I love, it would come points in the in the story where I believe it when like one character reached out to another character, and one of the writers said, "Well, wait a minute. Why would they reach out to that character when they have a closer relationship to this character?" And right. then they talked it out, and they like came up with a reason as to why. Right. And it was just so great to see in a writer's room. Yeah. Well, if something kind of doesn't make sense, someone would just speak up and be like, wait a minute, that doesn't quite make sense. Let's make sure that we make it make sense completely. So and, you're and left you, with no and hanging because questions. Because you, you fear they don't do that on Discovery. You're like, like that's at least it doesn't feeling. seem For that some way. things, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's the feeling. Yeah. And yeah, because you mentioned that as we were watching. And I remember I said to you, like, I have a response to this. So Okay. <laughs> I know what your response is, but that's all right. Well, what do you think my response is? Is that they've been doing it for a long time. That's part of my response. Okay. But I think at the same time, um, it goes back to, you know, seeing YouTube comments. Because I think, because even like that opening teaser scene that they're breaking down, that moment in the documentary was also posted to YouTube officially to see a sneak preview. And like, you would see comments being like, oh, this is the Star Trek MSC. This is real Star Trek. This is blah, blah. And I just, you know... I get it. I know what I, I know what you mean because I kind of said the same thing. Yeah, like you know, because I say like this is what Discovery doesn't do, and I just want to say that I just I just want I just like want to be like you know, I don't really think that's fair. No, that's not fair because part that's of that is that these characters that we know and love, and we're seeing them twenty years later. It's characters that we know and love. DS Nine's been off the air for twenty years, and in all of that time, it's just weeded its way into our subconscious. It's become like you know. For those of us who grew up watching Trek, who can just flip on an episode of Next Generation or DS9, Voyager, any of the ones, any of the the last generation of Trek as it was, I think, in my opinion, it's just evolved to the point where, like, it's it's comfort food. Yeah, it's like, it's right? why The Force Awakens made so much money. Right. And then the next ones have it, because you're just like, oh my god, it's it again, I want to see them. But understand that there's, you know... There, there, very, there, may, there may very well be where, for some people, Discovery is their first Trek, and they will have the same, you know, twenty years yeah, from now. I get that. You know, so I get that. It and, doesn't change my thing right. about everything. Should make more sense. No, I agreed. And I think you know what I said to you earlier about Discovery is that with all the things that sort of weren't resolved, I think that the shows basically constant shift in showrunners has really left its mark on that series and so you can't blame that for season two though oh wait they did do they did do, no they did do that so that's um, true but again eh, you know whatever. go back go back and look at DS9 go back and look yeah. at Next Generation go back and look at what they didn't they were not in my opinion great shows out of the gate so it took them a little while to get their footing so again oh, totally right it, it's difficult because it's easy to say now what great shows they were, but it's difficult to remember from back That's then. True. That's what those letters are supposed to be there for. Because we forget that when that show was new, people did not like it at all. Next Generation, people did not like that show, show either. Now they are considered to be among the greatest of the Trek shows. But at the time when they first came on... Right. And we say people, I mean, I'm sure lots of people liked it. Correct. But, it, but the, the point is, they also had... They're haters, basically. And so. even back then, when, when to hate something and get it known, you actually had to you had to get some paper. Yep. You had to write it out. You had to put a stamp on it. You had to yep. send it with knowing that you would never hear anything about it. You just right. needed them to hear how much you hated it. So, so that's impressive, actually, haters. In using the documentary, though, like to talk about DS9 itself. Yes. Um, 
because we can kind of bounce <clears throat> back and forth between the doc and the show because I think we can use this as an opportunity to actually discuss DS9 as a series. I mean, what are your thoughts on Deep Space Nine itself in the grander scheme of all of the other shows around it? Like, where do you, what do you think of DS9? I think overall, because you've seen it all. All, uh, yeah, yeah, probably. If anything, I missed a few episodes here and there. Yeah, that's okay. Um, overall, I'm not, a, I'm not a gatekeeper. I think it's the best one. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite, but the best. Okay. So, because I think that, here's the thing, you know me, and you know that I like shows that tackle, like, political and social issues of the day. Right. And I right. think that Deep Space Nine probably did that more directly than a lot of the other shows. Agreed. Agreed. Because it was much more rooted in politics. Yes. I and think. the fact that they even would make the episode in the 20th century. And religion. In the South in the 50s. Right. Social. It was more like social, definitely very heavily religious, which yes. the other shows kind of strayed away from. Yeah, right. It was just sort of agreed. Like, and, yeah, we're all atheists now. Come on. Right. And much more political because it dealt with the sort of politics of the of the Federation. Yes. And it dealt so. with the fact that you had a main character that was a terrorist. Right. You had imperialism with the occupation of right. the place. You had post-colonialism with them I mean, believing it. One of my How favorite... pick up the pieces? I mean, one of my favorite episodes in the franchise comes out of this show. And it's the uh, third season episode, um, two-parter called Past Tense. When they get thrown back to the 21st century and they're thrown into the... What they call the Sanctuary District where all the homeless people are kept yes, out of yes, sight. Yes. And there's like a civil uprising. Like, that... And I think... What's great about it is that's a that's something that's actually like happening now, right? right. Yeah, 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 right. So it's like the border, the right. immigration facilities. You mean, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Like we're seeing that stuff happen, you right. know, as we sit here. Yeah, and um, I mean, certainly different in the context, exactly. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah, generally. but. And that, to me, was always an extreme... Like, whenever I go back and watch DS9, like... Or if I just want to put on an episode of DS9, like... It's always... It's always that one. Yeah. And um, I really... Another one that I love is... And I don't say... I don't, you know, refer to too many episodes in this way, but... The season four episode, the first episode when Worf comes on, Way of the Warrior, that two-parter... Mm-hmm. I've always said, like, that, to me, is like a... That's a that's a Trek masterpiece. That mm. episode, I love, love, love that episode. Mm. Yeah, it's just there's something about it that's just so, it's so big, it's so grand, it's just so like. Mm. I and, believe even um, uh, DS Nine had the ability to, to do that that the other shows just couldn't quite get. In my, I believe opinion. Michael Dorn, right? Yeah, he said yeah. that his, the, 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 his episodes, some of them, he said were Shakespearean. Yeah, he said scale. there were two Klingon episodes that were, yeah. that were Shakespearean. Yeah, I think DS Nine definitely gave us the best sort of look at the Klingons, Klingon culture, right? And, yeah, like, I would say, like, if you have to, if I had to come up with a list of, like, essential Trek episodes, like those two that I just named, and, you know, I'd have to, you know, think a little, and think a little bit more, but, you know, maybe um, Far Beyond the Stars, the one where Cisco's the author oh, in the yes, 1950s. Yes. Um you know, trials and tribulations like in the pale moonlight. In the, oh, in the pale moonlight, often considered um, 
I don't know about now, now that we have Discovery, but often considered one of the darkest Trek episodes ever written. Yeah, yeah. So that brings, if not the darkest. So that goes to a point that I like about the show is that um, it wasn't afraid to do that sort of thing. Yes, and it wasn't afraid to have characters grow and change over time and have their experiences affect them and change them as a character going Mm -hmm. forward. So it wasn't always resetting back to the status quo. I think I think what DS9 does with the franchise is that, you know, up until this point, you have the original show and the next generation. And the next generation, I think, was extremely, as good as it was, it was very, um, you know, the characters were very idyllic. Idyllic? Am I saying that right? Yes. yes idyllic. Idyllic, thank you. I always want to say idyllic. Because it spelled as a Y for some reason. Right. Do that. They... They're portrayed as almost like people without flaws, right? Not so much in the original well, series. Jordy is he had some romantic flaws, let's be honest. But like Roddenberry's point was that with that show, humanity would like everybody was like perfect, right? right. And Deep Space Nine decides to well, just not Also Riker was a sex addict, so you know <laughs> Come on, man. That's not perfect. I just I felt like they were people without flaws. I know and I see what you mean. DS9 was really, I think, the first Trek show to kind of throw, you know, a, a monkey wrench into that to say, no, you know what? Like, and it was obvious with In the Pale Moonlight when, at the end of it, when Cisco basically admits, you know, he lied, he cheated, but what he did was for the greater good and that he can live with it. I mean, Picard would never. Well. I don't think. I point you to his handling, how he, so I think, I think. That's a critique that Next Generation gets. But I think that they would have things happen, but because they were all self-contained episodes, it might right. last for five or ten minutes. Right. Like, that remember, was the other problem. Remember when Picard wanted to turn Hugh into a genocidal yep. virus to wipe out the Borg? Right. And then people were like, you realize you're committing genocide, don't you? And then they had that debate. Mm-hmm. So they, I think it was there. It just... I think it was, it was much softer. Then yeah, the genocide pretty hard. Well, I, I, the topic, right? But I think the way the approach to a lot of those things was not as sort of edgy yeah, as DS Nine did. Yeah, I mean, I mean DS Nine dealt with like war head on. Like Next Gen didn't, right? You know, and like deal with that kind of stuff. So yeah, the, the the I think the parallel would be if we got half an episode of that was just like a monologue of Picard like right. raging against them and like talking about how he wants to destroy every one of them or something. Right. Yeah. But I think that, you know, and I think the reason why DS9 was able to do that stuff was because as they mentioned early in the documentary is that they they consider DS9 to be DS9 is the middle child the bastard child and it was always to Rick Berman's point it was always on with another Trek show. Right. So that was great because it took some of the pressure off them so they could do what they want. The focus was never really on Deep Space Nine. And he's kind of inaccurate when he says it because there was a period where DS9 was on by itself for like 10 weeks and then Voyager came. Well, okay. Right. But even then. But, but it was already known that a new show was coming anyway. Right. So, and so it's like all eyes were on TNG. Okay, now all eyes are on this new show that's coming, right. Voyager, and DS9 is just kind so of... So they could get away with a lot more. Right. Like I said, the studio the studio told them, don't make any ongoing story arcs. And they still did it. And yeah, they fought for it, and they fought for it, and they got yeah. it, and that's what makes it so great. Right, I mean, it's, and it's the first Trek show to really kind of do, you know, the ongoing story arc. And 
what I think is kind of, you know, interesting about it is that even though they continue this Dominion War through the last two seasons of the show, you know, they have episodes that focus on it, but other times it's just sort of lingering in the background. So, like, it's not like, it's not the way they do stuff now where it's like just that every single episode. Right. Right? Like, in the beginning of season six, they, um, the Dominion takes control of DS9 in the finale of season five. And for the first... I hope my numbers are right. I think it's like five or six episodes that they have control of the station. And and they that's when the war officially has begun. So the crew finally gets DS9 back. And then the episode after that is when Dax and Worf get married. So they kind of step away from the war from, you know, from time to time. And, right. But they, they do continue to go back to it. But it's not front and center all the time. Right. Where, you know, I think if they were doing the show like this now, it would be front and yeah. center. Like so you still get time. one-off episodes here. You still get one-off episodes, but, you know, even if even though they're not on the front lines, yeah, there's at least, like, a mention of it somewhere. And, and you know, and the weird thing is, Discovery like... Discovery did that, too, somewhat, this season. Well, the, the weird thing about Discovery, and I said this when we were doing the podcasts in the for the first season, like, even though there was a war going on with the Klingons, like, you, Discovery was, like, you never really saw it happening yeah, outside of the Battle of the Binary Stars. Like... Discovery was never on the front lines. Like, yeah. there was like a handful of moments where they actually engaged the Klingons head on, but that yeah, was. You never saw Discovery really fighting alongside no, it was a fleet their of ships. Weapon, right? right? There was no Dominion War like type of situation, you know, happening on Discovery. And even like in that moment when Ash Tyler toasts, you know, for the 10,000 souls that we lost and he's making a yeah, survey, right. and I'm just like, I. What souls? Battle of the Binary Stars, I guess, but like, I'm like, I'm not seeing. Any of this happening right now? So yeah, that yeah. was weird. It right, was more like lip service. Yeah, if they do make a claim in the which that um you know Deep Space Nine paved the way for our modern long form television right. or whatnot. I don't know if it paved which, the I, way. No, I don't. But I don't think it gets any credit for its contribution to it. Yeah, that's true. Because you had you get X Files gets credit. Twin Peaks doesn't get as much credit as well, it should. Going back it back does. I'm sure, like, even going, like, Dallas, like, all those nighttime soaps from the 70s and 80s. Well, yeah, like, but Dallas that's the and, thing. But they're soap operas. That's not how, a soap, yeah. That's how soaps are kind of yeah. structured. Soaps have been right? doing that since the 50s. Right. right. Yeah, I don't think DS9 gets enough. I mean, DS9 was groundbreaking in the sense that, and they go into this a little bit on the documentary, that the first, they did the first three part of a trek in the first, uh, in the first three episodes of uh, season two. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do think the the one place that they don't get credit that they make that great point about is about um, having African American leads in a show. Yeah, when they mention homicide life on the street. Yeah, yeah. and just that when they look back at the, like the rise of right. African Americans' place in television, right? It, it doesn't get a mention, which I hadn't thought about. But yeah, it really right. was actually very ahead of its time in that way. Yeah, where you had. You know, whole episodes that were mostly African American characters. The thing that strikes me about this show that I've always wanted to sort of have a discussion about is when this show. So, if you go back and look at Next Generation, you know, I think the idea of a new Trek show coming that doesn't feature Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and the original crew seemed 
ridiculous. Like, you can't do trick without them. What the hell is this? Yeah. Right. But, but they threw the bone of like, but it's still an enterprise. Correct. Correct. Um, and it was created by Roddenberry. And McCoy did appear in the first episode. Oh, yeah. Um, came later. There had to be some familiar element to it, right? So, when that. <laughs> it's funny that it's bones. When that show Actually. began to. Once it sort of took off and became popular and it finally because I think it, there was a little bit of a warming period right I would say that it took I, maybe it took a while for people to accept it I don't know I wasn't there but I was alive and I watched it but I was like 10 so yeah. I didn't know what everyone else thought of it but me and the so, people I knew and they didn't give a shit about it mostly I and the thing is I was 10 I always wondered like now that you know okay next generation's on the you know, I'm going back in time and next generation's on the air it's finally a success you know, people love it. It's doing well. As far as the fans are concerned, like, I'm just wondering, like, if any of them ever thought, like, this is really good. Do you think they'll do another one? Do you think they would do another show with a different right. set of characters? Right? Like, did anybody think in those terms at the time? Probably not. I'm assuming... I would assume they would think like, oh, we got one now. Like, maybe when this one ends, then we'll do another one. And don't forget, Roddenberry died in season when season five of the show began. And I'm sure people thought back then, like, oh, you know, maybe this is the end of Trek. Because Roddenberry's not here anymore. You know, who knows? But, yeah, I always, I always wanted to know that. Like, if anybody ever thought... It's weird. Studio executives obviously thought it, but... Yeah. It's Did just funny because we were just talking about this while we were rewatching that it was a different time in the way people even think about media and the shows they right. like and the franchises. Right. They didn't even call them franchises then. I mean, I would I would say Trek was a franchise. At the I don't time. know. If, I don't know if fans though talked about things in terms of right. franchises. But nowadays you have or like universes. But nowadays you have like Disney Plus. Though so they're announcing like what are the was it four or five Marvel shows? Four or five yeah, Marvel shows. Yeah, one Star and, Wars show. It's probably more to follow. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've always wondered if like any if anybody ever had that thought, like, would they sort of do this again? And even though I think Next Gen gets a lot of credit for being the first Trek to succeed without the original cast, I still view it as kind of an experiment. I kind of hold DS9 as being the one responsible for that to say, nope, DS9 is the one that really sort of said, yep, you can absolutely do another Trek show with a different cast. In a different concept. In a different concept. But then Voyager, they went back to kind of... I mean, yeah, they tweaked it enough, but it was more right, similar than... Correct, but the fact that they were you were still able to have another successful Trek show that did not have William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, oh, DeForest yeah. Kelly, like, Next Generation, great. But DS9 really, I think, kind of sealed the deal to say, yes, you absolutely can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think another element of documentaries worth mentioning is the fact that there are um, high def scenes from the yes. series, yes, that look incredible. And, and don't forget, we got to see, we got to, we were lucky to see this on a, on a, on a big movie, screen. On a movie yeah. screen. Oh man, yeah. I, I know I wanted to watch the whole series on a big screen. And my yeah, and and you know, it's what's great about it is on the Blu-ray, and they did this in the theater. You know, they had that round table with the guys behind the documentary, and they they kind of got into the discussion about how complicated it was to actually. What that how complicated that process is because next generation has they do it on next generation 
Yeah. The original series was a bit of a different story because they they absolutely had to redo the special effects. Like there was no right, which way probably made it that. easier. In one so way. all they did was upscale the film, and they knew that they'd be reinserting yeah. new effects. But what so the thing that was, I think neither of us realized is that to in order to do this to a show, you need to go back and not just find like whatever finished product they sent to networks. They have to find the footage they shot and find the right take of the scene yep. and then find the bit that you need. So they have yep. to essentially reassemble the entire show. Yeah, and I mean, me who works as a video editor, I mean, you know, um, my guide to all of that is to have the original assembled episode on, on my timeline underneath to see where every... And you basically have to line it up to match yes. all of that. But then also you have to consider... It depends on how well they marked all their reels and right, whatnot. Which they said, which they said were not entirely accurate. So, right. so you could just be hunting. And there, through. and it's if you watch the documentary, you know there are moments of the show that do appear in standard definition because they say in the roundtable yeah, that there were just pieces that we could not find. Yeah, and that actually happens on Next Generation a couple of times, like throughout the Blu-ray release. I can think of one in in particular on the Best of Both Worlds. There is like one or two takes that are in standard definition because they just could not find yeah. the original yeah. um, it's remarkable film reel for it. To think, it. I think from our perspective, because we see these shows as like, they are, you know, so important and so incredible. Right. And just to think that to someone somewhere in Los Angeles, it's mm-hmm. just another, I don't know, fucking thing I got to file and keep track of. Right. Who gives a shit? But, Shove it in the back. But to the, but to the you know, the second unit's, uh, credit. They did film the show like for widescreen. Like they did do it. They framed everybody in the center, so as if the show oh, would no, eventually get some sort of could eventually, you know, be done in widescreen. So really? they were already kind of so they have to make it happen in some ways thinking ahead. But um, seeing the Dominion War in high definition was just. I remember I said to you, I'm like, those are that is not recreated. That like that's the actual scene. Oh yeah, and you can sort had. of tell just because of the way yeah. the animation looked, right? That it did have that weird kind of like video gamey feel. But I think it's still a great. It looked great. It did look great. Yeah, but I think the thing that looked best was the and uh, scenes was, of the actors. And it was brought up some time ago, like within the last like, God, maybe like the last six or seven years at a convention, I think. When this, when obviously somebody from CBS, I think, I think it was during the time when Next Generation was being released on Blu-ray, and so the question came up: Can we, are we ever going to get DS Nine or Voyager on Blu-ray? And um, they had meant the person who they were who was talking about this had mentioned that the digital because midway into DS 9s run and midway into Voyager's run, they the special effects, the ship shots became full on. CGI. They stopped using models completely and they went to full CGI. And the effects houses that did the effects for those shows actually closed out. Um, but there was a guy, one guy or a couple of people, who actually came out and said, no, I, we still have all of our scene files. All you need to do is basically re-export these at a higher resolution. Good. Right, so like there would be no having to basically recreate. So we don't have to do anything to it except export it. Right. Oh, that's good. And I'm sure the, the, for that portion of it. Yeah, but you but, know, yeah. in the first half of those shows, you still have the traditional like right. model shots. And, and I'm sure with the right? oh, I see your point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's why they were able to do Enterprise because Enterprise actually was shot in high definition. Right. So it was just a matter of you know getting it into 1080p and then just 
yeah. releasing it. Yeah. Right. yeah. Because when Enterprise aired, don't forget, that's when high-definition TV was just beginning to come right. in. And that show was filmed on widescreen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the uniform color looks different when I see it in high def. It's like almost yeah. purple. Yeah. There's a lot of... When you, when you do... Again, as somebody who works in video um, editing and... You have to do a ton. It's a very tedious process to do like color correction and make sure everything looks far more natural. But what I think is funny is that when these shows get released in high definition, um, a lot of times when they were filming them, it was filmed with the idea of, well, if there's some imperfections, they were like, well, they're not going to see this on TV, on the TV anyway. It's not going to be visible. Yeah. And now, especially shows like... The original series, correct, like the 60s, correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. The makeup was bad. Were they new? Uniforms that, were bad. Were they new? No, but it's not going to be visible on a. Yeah, because you figure not only is it whatever definition they can capture it in, but then they figure people's TVs were like right. terrible too. Yeah, I mean, it it, it bring in some high definition is great, but it's also it's a blessing, yeah. but again, it's also a curse because yeah, if you go back and watch the you know the Trek movies like the early ones, and you know to your point, even the original series. The higher the quality gets, you see the imperfections. Right, right. Yeah. And and there is that whole thing where, you know, certain things that are shot in high def and then you see them on a 4K TV or something mm-hmm. and it looks like a camcorder. It's like creepily real. Right. That, that doesn't work for me. So, yeah, I like to have a little bit of the cinematic... But my hope like, is... ...grain to the film or something. My hope is, I mean, I think... I feel like eventually... I think it's going to take a while, but I think eventually DS9 will sort of make its way into the sort of pop culture zeitgeist, as I said, because these shows now, you know, they're streaming, people are discovering them for the first time. They're just much more widely available now than they were back then. Yeah, yeah. And I think with this documentary, and, you know, this was crowdfunded, which clearly showed the love that people have for the show... I'm just like, I'm thinking, I'm really hoping that this show will eventually get a Blu-ray release because, because of this. Right. And like I said, I think if they did a Kickstarter to like show the interest and raise some money to offset the cost, it right. seemed I better. Well, it's like I told successful. you what they said, what they said in this round table, like when they were getting all the footage assembled to be, you know, um, converted to high def, CBS didn't have time to go through and like get this scene and get that scene. They just basically upconverted the whole reel to high def and said, "Here you go." Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's not that much, but they ha- that tell what that means is the guys who did this documentary have like full reels of high definition footage from DS9 that's not even getting used. Yeah, right. But in both, probably most of it is only the, of like bunch of takes of the scene. Oh, of course, yeah. It's not like they've got episodes done or whatnot. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, they have, I mean, obviously some of the work has been done. I mean, granted, it's a minuscule of work. It's, it's a small percentage, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they crowdfunded this documentary. They crowdfunded the For the Love of Swap documentary. I think one more, too. And it's like, I have no doubt that if they crowdfunded an entire high-def release, I mean, who knows how much it would cost, but put it this way. This documentary hit its goal. In in like twenty in less than a day, yeah. Do you know what his goal was? I think the initial goal was like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's when it was just a much more simple documentary. Yeah. It, and when as soon as they were getting money, they said it now, it now opens up a door to do this and then do that, mm. and then they just kind of 
began to up it a little bit more, and they just kept getting... So it opened up all of these doors for them to do so many things. And, you know, they initially weren't going to uh, put the show in high definition for this. Yeah, right. Or animate all those things. I mean, I remember said that we were, they were going to do, like, maybe a couple of scenes in high definition and then go back to standard definition, but he, he said that as soon as he saw the footage in high definition, he was like, no, we need to... We need to do this. Yeah. And, and it probably makes sense, too, that that could be the spur to get them to, people to make it as happen. somebody who was waiting, like, yeah, it was frustrating because it just felt like this documentary was never going to come out. But I was like, you know, Ira, Mr. Bear, you're doing all of these changes, and honestly, like, I think it'll be worth it. It'll definitely be worth it. It was so worth it. In yeah. the end, yeah. To yeah. see all of that? Yeah. And there's some way, in the way the whole documentary flows, because there are so many different things that they do. You, you never get... It's not just people talking f- for too long or right. interview for too long. It's, it right. really goes, you know, in, like, segments right. very, very well. Right. Yeah, my, my, my hope is is that this will, you know, spark something to get the show released in high definition. Um, and even at the Trek convention, which, as we are recording this, is happening right now in Vegas, um, I had seen it somewhere on Twitter that... You know, CBS is interested in getting this show and Voyager on Blu-ray at some point. Nice. And they better um, do it quick before nobody buys discs anymore. That's a thing. Right? That's the yeah. thing. But at the same time, like But it's still streaming. You know, I don't work obviously work for uh, a TV network or a TV conglomerate as it was, but they have these other things. They have this other thing which they call manufacturer on demand. Mm. Where like if you order a Oh, yeah. Uh, what the hell is it? Uh, Night Court. <laughs> okay. Released on DVD by Warner Brothers, but, yeah. like, they only print the DVDs when somebody orders one. Um, so, like, they don't yeah, put yeah. it in stores. Yeah, they're not You order it online, and then you get the manufacturer yeah. on demand. Who the hell knows how many people are going to buy Night Court? Well, I... <laughs> I have it on digital, anyway. Um, but, yeah. I mean, so it could be a case of... I mean, I don't, granted, I don't know how much it costs to transfer... An entire show of Blu-ray. I don't know what that costs. I don't know. I don't know how much money you're saving. Yeah, I mean, right? but there's got to be. But at the whatever same, costs to do next gen. But at the same time, next gen was not hugely successful on Blu-ray because of the cost. And it's probably going way down. Yes. And I bet you they. I bet you the over time they've sold a lot more. You know, maybe not initially. Right. But also now that it's on every streaming platform, it might be tough too. Well, still. yeah. I mean the the. What it comes down to now is because the HD version is available on Netflix on everything, but then it comes down to okay, well, I'll buy the Blu-rays for the bonus features, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, but how much do you care about that? But still, are you going to get? Here's the thing: a lot of people, like as I've heard, that one of the reasons that they decided to make Picard was because Next Generation was being streamed a real lot on. Mm-hmm. Streaming it's services. always one of the most trending shows on Netflix. Yeah, always. so and probably more so now. Is that partially because they had it in high def, so it looks really good to new eyes that are watching it? And maybe right. if it was grainy and didn't look that great, maybe not as many people would stick with it. Who knows? It's possible though. That's a factor. Right. I mean, you also have to wonder at the same time. Like, yeah, Trek fans want the show on Blu-ray, but I mean, I think the reason they want this on Blu-ray. Is because not only do they love the show, but Next Gen is now on Blu-ray, right? Like, the original series is on Blu-ray, but I mean, were fans calling for that? I don't know. 
where they're like, I really want next generation of where I really want. You know, they may have well been. I, I just, I have no yeah, I don't know. recollection of that. But at the same time, what ended up happening was, you know, they released the original series on DVD and then Next Generation on DVD and then DS and eventually all of them. And then they were like, okay, let's do TOS. Now let's do TNG. And then the sort of expectation was, okay, now you're going to do... Yeah, because they're going to sell so great. Right. Like, like, oh, now you're going to do DS9 and you're going to do... They've done Enterprise, so it's like, oh, you know, there are only two left. What the, yeah. You know. Well, Enterprise was easy, though. Enterprise was easy. Correct. And Next Gen um, cost a lot of money and probably didn't make it all back. It did not. I mean, it... it um, I think the price. This I think when it came out, it was like 110, 120 bucks a season. I mean, that's what it, that's what the show was on DVD when it yeah, came out. It's crazy. Back then, this is back in like two thousand two, two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's it's CBS trying to find the right sort of balance of how much can we do this for and how much can we make, right? And you know, you know, they're a TV network. They they can figure that shit out, but. Um, it's to your point. It's kind of a race against time. Costs may be cutting down, coming down, but how many people still buy disc media these days? Yeah, especially for a whole Who, series. Right. I mean, because I love to own. Discs. I love to own whole series on on Blu-ray and DVD just to have. But you know, how many times do you hear people say, "I'll just wait for it to come on Netflix"? Yeah. I mean, it's true. I would be one of those people that would. Maybe not buy it, honestly. As much as I would like to, I, I would buy it, but I don't know if I'd buy it immediately. It would have to. It would have to depend on how much it costs. Right. Yeah. And then at the right. same time, you have to remember, like, well, not a whole lot of DS Nine fans like season one. Not that many from like season two either. So you'd have to do it as a whole set. So it's if you like want to make that money, right? Too, it's know? like are they going to be like, well, I won't buy it until they release the good yeah. season. And if right? the first two seasons don't sell, <laughs> right? They're not going to make the exactly. Yeah, many, and that's what's tough because I many like, TV shows fall victim to that. Like yeah. they, they'll release one season, it doesn't sell well, and they don't release anything else. Yeah, it's like well, well, because it so happens that season sucks. Yeah, and then you know you wind up having some series where they do sell the whole series as a set. Right, but that's usually until after not until after each season is right. Individually. That's after they've already made a but a lot of money selling them by Correct. season. So now yeah. it's like the price can come down on the set because they've already made all their money back. And a lot of profit. So now we'll right. give you Buffy the Vampire Slayer the whole thing for like 200 bucks. Right. Or whatever it is. Right. I mean... For 100 bucks. The, actually, so the distributor of this of this uh, documentary, Shout Factory... Um, so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. He's yeah. my favorite director. They have given so many of his movies so many so much love on Blu-ray. Right? And really? so... Oh my God, yeah. So what do you they, mean? Well, you know, they get they transfer them to high definition. They're oh, okay. you know, they do great, excellent bonus documentaries. It's almost yes. like they're done by fans. Yeah. Cool. And you know, Shout Factory does a lot of these things where they basically have picked up all of these shows that they'll pick up a license for a show that was released by somebody else and it's like, you know what, we'll take up the rest. So like, you know, as an example, um, you know, the classic sitcom, The Bob Newhart Show, got released by Fox on DVD. The first four seasons did not sell that well. Mm-hmm. And that show is six seasons, I believe. And so for, for for years, like maybe like ten years or something like that, they did not. there was no word on the release of season five or season six. And so Shout Factory stepped in and was like, you know, we'll, we will... Uh, they released the complete series yeah. immediately. Yeah, and they probably go to the studios and say, like, well, look, you're not making any money on it now. At least you'll get some money right. from us. For but the, the other thing that they did, though, was that 
because when they announced, you know, Shout Factory, he's like, we're gonna we're gonna release the entire, you know, all six seasons of the Bob Newhart Show in a set. Mm. People who already bought seasons one through four, are like, you know, what the fuck? So Shout Factory did something really nice. They were like, okay, well, we'll release five and six also individually, so you don't have to, no, yeah. for like ten bucks each or something <clears throat> like that, right? Yeah. So um, I forget what my point was on this, <laughs> but um, Shout Factory has a reputation for taking a lot of shows that whose show release failed somewhere else. Yeah. And have picked up the rest of it. I think this is out of their league, though. They've never done Trek before. To do, well, they did this, but... Well, before this. Yeah. yeah. To, I think it would be out of their league, though, to do Deep Space Nine. Well, they wouldn't do the remastering of it. Right? Yeah. Right, but... Um, as a distributor, though, I think they would. it would help them... It would potentially help CBS with the costs. Potentially. To remaster it. Yeah, whatever they need to do to make it work. Yeah. But again, I think I think to your point, it is kind of a. It's like when is the right time to do it? Because again, soon who, as possible. St- who still buys disc media as soon as possible? Like you know the Trekkies <laughs> will, and maybe that's all they care about. That's all they count on is yeah. people like us right. to, to buy that. But again, when you're dealing with a show, and look, it's a very sort of relative statement. Is season one great? I don't think so. Is season two? Mm. Right, but I've, still, I haven't heard a lot of people say that they are. But again, but season one of Next Gen is not great, but people are still streaming that by the boatload. Exactly, so. but I think it's okay streaming wise. But as far as what you want to spend your money on, that's why it has to be a whole series. You don't want to spend your money on a season that you don't like. Yeah, right. Like somebody like me, like yes, there is Trek that I that I'm not a huge fan of, but I still own all of it on disc, yeah. on disc media. Right, right. I don't like, you know. Star Trek 3 all that much but I have it because I'm a completionist I, I need all of it totally yeah totally. so so I would say on this what do we say this is a hard recommend right a solid oh I mean if you love DS, if you love DS9 then rent it's a val- it it's a, it's, I would say it's a valentine for DS9 fans yeah, if you don't know I, and I would also say though if you don't really know much about DS9 maybe even a decent oh yeah entry point into the or show. just to get, get you excited about watching it yeah, 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 and it's funny because I'm sure that when they did the the writers, like we said, wrote like came up with the first episode, like the the general plot. Yeah, they probably thought like oh, this is always ever actually going to happen, and then suddenly Picard happens, right? Where it is sort of happening, right. and, and it's so it's kind of interesting in that. When way. they dated the date of the disc of the uh, writers' room, I think they said it was like February or March of 2015. Discovery hadn't even been announced at the time. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but like I said, there were things that I wish they had covered a little in more detail. Like they didn't even there was no mention of uh, trials and tribulations. Yeah, that would have been nice. Do you know? Are there are there any good behind the scenes books that have been written by anybody for this show? I mean, you have that DS Nine, like the DS Nine Companion, probably. Um, but I can't think of any hmm. books. Do the discs for that season have anything about it? I think there were some. I believe there. I believe there may have been a bonus disc or two. Yeah, they probably mentioned the making of it. But I believe so. Yeah. But you know, when the show came out on DVD, they were very. Um, and Next Gen was guilty of this too on the DVD side, anyway. And Voyager, they were very cheap about the um, special features. Yeah. yeah, Enterprise wasn't great. I think it was like one commentary track. It was like oh, you know, season something. season three overview, and it was like an eight minute. Yeah, and you're like, that's it. <laughs> I mean, and then there were these other features that, like, I don't think were really that impressive. But again, that's just my opinion. personally. 
in a lot of ways, when the show came out on DVD, it was, I think there were a hundred, I think it was like $129.99 per season at the time. This is the early 2000s. Yeah. And $5 an episode. And, you know, very expensive, obviously. This is, you know, we're talking, we're talking 15, 16, 17 years ago. And, you know, at that point, you're not, I mean, you're not buying it for the bonus extras, right? You're buying it because this is really the first time you can own a, sh- a show. Because also, also, don't forget, at that time, releasing a show by season on DVD was still relatively a relatively new thing. Mm. Like, Next Generation was the first show I ever owned in full mm. on DVD. Yeah. Like, the fact that I was able to go to my shelf and watch, pull out season watch I, I had every episode of next generation right there on my shelf yeah and i still got them still got them all yeah 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 and it, it was the same case with all of them i could do the same thing with the original like every single episode of uh trek was right there on my shelf you I could have just... done that with the original series on vhs right you could uh i mean and i taped voyager as it aired so i i was able to binge watch voyager i think before uh before binging was even a thing, but um, yeah, I mean, so I think at that time you're spending more money on the fact that oh, I can actually own a complete, right. just watch it, and because don't forget too, there was no streaming back then. Mm-hmm. The only time you could watch it done. is either buy VHS, VHS, or wait for it to be rerun. Yeah, right. So it was sort of a new thing that you could actually own a show and just watch whatever episode you wanted at any time. Yeah. And I have to wait for it. Like, oh, God, in the, in the syndication cycle, like, they're not going to air this one until... But I have plans at 11.30 tonight. Right, they're not going to... Yeah, exactly. So um, so now it's a little different. Yeah. Right? So it's like, what do you? What exactly is it that you would be paying for? You can watch anything at any time now. Anything at any time. Right. So for me, it would be, yes, getting that show in high definition and really sort of seeing it to be a you know just be cliched about it the way it was meant to be seen yeah yeah and i like commentary tracks so and they'll seem like they're cheap to do commentary tracks right right you pay yeah. somebody to come in for an hour watch the show and talk I mean, we've done them <laughs> yeah not very successfully <laughs> um so yeah definitely a, a definitely a hard recommend for people to uh Check this. Yeah, walk. When it comes don't out. run. Run. Don't walk. That's my endorsement. Yeah. But to kind of your point that I cut <laughs> a little bit, I, I am hoping that with Picard coming, we may get some sort of taste as to what's going on. Yeah. Uh, with Deep Space Nine, I have no, I have no doubt that one of the characters will at least reference it by di- by dialogue. Will they go to the <laughs> station? Yeah. Who knows? But I mean, you want us to go that way? That goes right past Deep Space Nine. Right. One of those toss-offs. But even with, on the documentary, with them writing season eight, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, with all, here's the thing. With a lot of these shows coming coming back on, like, Roseanne came back. Mm -hmm. Murphy Brown came back. Yeah. And they're still being called. Just got canceled, too. They're still being, what did? Murphy Brown. Oh, did they cancel it? Yeah. I didn't know that. I was um, actually, yeah, this is a sidebar, but I was at a doctor's office the other day and I had a TV guide. It's still around, oh, I guess. It's like a, but it's like an actual like magazine, right? It's not, like a it's not full magazine size, though. It's oh. like between the old one and a full magazine. Got so it, they got still it. kept it a little weird. But yeah, but I've learned that Mercy Brown got great. I used to have a bunch of Trek TV 
to you guys. Um, My family was a subscriber. Oh, lucky you. Like Frank Costanza. <laughs> yeah, we didn't uh, keep them all, though. Um, like, yeah, and, and the thing is, they're coming back just as their original titles, right? It's not like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Murphy Brown spinoff or like, you know, yeah, it's been up now, but right. It would be but, like if the Picard show was called Star Trek: The Next Generation. Well, that's what I said. I'm like when when it was when, when the title was secretive, and everyone was speculating on what it was. I just thought to myself, like, couldn't they just call it Star Trek: The Next Generation? It would just be like another, right? I always thought though Star Trek: The Next Generation was the dumbest name because I I always felt like it's a it's a it's a corny cliche. It name. didn't exist in the universe. It existed only for us, the viewer. Right. Yeah, so that's why I was fun of Strange. Right, exactly. DS9 is the setting. Voyager is the setting. Yes, Enterprise Discovery is the setting. Is the setting. Discovery is the it's setting. thing that exists, but that's just like... Picard is, is the person. Yeah, it's almost like Star Trek, the next one, the one after the one you know. <laughs> well, I used to make me so mad because I would always... And you probably got this too. People would, who weren't familiar with it would mistakenly call it the new generation. And I'm like, no, it's not the new generation. <laughs> like, shut up, it's not the new generation. But It could have just as easily been called that. But actually, so... I think out of all of the Trek shows, if you were to bring one back, you could bring this back and still call it Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, and totally. Just, and just continue. Same setting. Exactly. Just keep it there. Yeah. You can't do Enterprise again because Enterprise was decommissioned. Yeah. Maybe Voyager. But I don't know what's the fate of, I mean, the fate of that ship. Who knows? Voyager. But, I mean, it could be like, they could follow Jane. But if they, necessarily were to, use Voyager. if they were to bring this back, you could just call it Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But they're well, they wouldn't. No, they call but, it like, you know, at the Star Trek Cisco. But the, <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that. But at the, but I gotta tell you, at the same time, with these short treks coming, yeah, like oh, they could do a Deep Space what, Nine. What's to stop? What's stopping you from doing a Deep Space Nine? I think because it would cost a shitload of money to rebuild that set for a five ten minute episode. But I see your point. Like you can use characters from. Old trek and just do a short trek with them. Yeah. I mean, look, you could do a short trek with Kira. Maybe she's not on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah. But you could revisit those characters from previous trek shows yeah. in a short trek. You could do anything you want. Because that's what Kurtzman said. They're there for like they're there for kind of to kind of experiment with things. And hell, they're even doing animated episodes. So right. So I mean, I think you know, obviously the you know, let's do new things, and I understand that, but yeah. Maybe let's try to squeeze one or two in and see what's going on with... Yeah. Um, I mean, what a great thing to explore whatever the hell Cisco is doing now. Right. I hope that comes up in Picard somewhere. Would Avery be willing to... Uh... Avery would have to revisit his past, but only with a new lens. Oh, boy. Actually, I think... The horizon is forever early, changing. Did you want to... Work. So I think you mentioned this earlier. Did you want to discuss that quickly? The Avery's captain's close-up shot? Oh, what I, I, I just love Avery, Brooks. <laughs> yes. And I love the way he talks. And I love when Shatner interviews him because he is doing the Avery Brooks thing and he's very much like talking in poetic symbolism. Jazz. But the hilarious language. thing is that Shatner is just like... Trying to get on board so hard. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Are you with me? I am so with you. I'm so with you. I'm so. <laughs> and then he even tries to do it. He'll be like, it's like wood, or something. He throws in ones that don't quite work, but it's right. great. Everybody yeah. watch it if you. I remember there was a moment in that in that when Avery's playing the piano and he stops. He's looking at Shatner, and Shatner goes, 
what happens when you die? <laughs> and Avery's like, tell me. And he's like, I wish I knew. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I watching? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> yeah. And you sell the chat. But, I don't, but the thing is, I don't know what I'm watching, but I don't want to turn it off either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't want it to end. That was Shatner's attempt to, like, get on his level. Like, all right, this guy wants to go deep. Let me ask him what happens when you die. Yeah. But (laughs) they were not really aligning. So, yeah, I mean, I know that I would way much rather hang out with um, Avery Brooks than William Shatner. I do wonder if Avery Brooks would would return to the role. I mean, with all the money that CBS is making off of all of this, I'm sure they could offer him a handsome... Some I bet handsome you, compensation. I bet you he, he. I really think though he is an artist first and foremost. And I think oh, definitely, absolutely. He would only do it if he thought it was interesting. I mean, that's how you got an actor on board. It's gonna yeah. be interesting. That's how you got well, actors to on board. But then the shitty actors that'll do anything for money. Oh, of course, but that's also what brought Patrick Stewart back. Yes, because he didn't want to just do yeah next generation sequel old man of generation either. right. He wanted to. You know, explore what the next chapter in Picard's life was, and which is why, like, how great? I I mean, can you imagine if that episode that we saw them breaking in the documentary actually became a reality? It'd be fantastic, right? It'd be fantastic. Except they could drop the section thirty-one plot. (laughs) I laughed at that, and then like. I love when Iris Stephen Bear's like, well, Section 31 is ours. We're using it. I'm just like... Yeah, we created it. At the theater. Well, the, remember we saw it in the theater and they said, like, we could do... What they say? Something like, we could do a whole season on Section 31? And yeah. Like, and I'm just like, oh, God, like, no. No, 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 Like, no. no. I think... I don't remember if Discoveries had ended for the season yet or if maybe it was just ending. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it was just so funny to hear that now. And I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah, why does everyone feel so drawn to Section I mean, I've actually... You know, well, but then they it, created it, so they feel it all. Come to think of it. I'd be really curious what they... What his thoughts were if he's seen it. That's true. On I would Discovery's use of Section 31. Yeah, I don't know if he would, you know, because that's like writer's code or whatever. Because he makes reference to them using it in Into Darkness. Yeah, he didn't like that, right? Yeah. Well, I don't think he really good. said that. Yeah. Well, but, he used it on Enterprise also. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was very funny. Like, that's ours. We, we created that. Right. <laughs> I'm sure he's thrilled about the Section 31 series. Yeah. I say that in, uh, I say that as sarcastically as possible. Right, right. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, I would, you know, you, if they were to do a short trek or even, even like a limited DS9 series, you bring all those guys back. I mean, fuck. Oh yeah. Be fucking lit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or even just some of them. But again, you know, as I, as we watched that writer's room, it was clear, it was clear to me that they, they had not lost their way with the show. They still... And I think you could tell, like, they wanted... It seemed to me like they wanted to go back to that world. Yeah, and even the fact that in their first episode, they make everybody get back together for a reason, right. you know? It's right. Like, that's great. Right. And sometimes you would think, like, oh, that's cheesy or whatever, but the way they did it made it was good. That's well, what I, I think, was so impressed I think, with. Because I think it was sort of a mirror, like, for the for the cast coming back, it was the same for them as writers coming back together. Because they probably haven't, you know, I don't yeah. think they've worked together since, since then. Yeah, yeah. So, in any way. Yeah. Oh, and actually, because you have the writer um, that died. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Oh, Michael Pillar. Right, right. So they were talking about how, like, and they're back together, but there's the person that's not there, and that's, like, the presence that they all know isn't there. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, what they were talking about there was also reflecting their own experience. Right. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just think um, I, it would be great. And I think... 
I think doing some kind of using short treks as a means to explore previous characters, assuming they're not going to be on Picard at some point, but you know, right. As of this moment, um, you know, there's also this talk about uh, Robert Picardo from Voyager, the Doctor, making an appearance on Picard, and once again, DS Nine is it's skipped right over and goes straight to <laughs> goes straight to Voyager. Oh, right. makes sense. Um, unless they're kind of hiding that portion of it in the closet, but um, but who would be the natural person character to take from New Space Nine for Picard? Do you think? I mean, I think it just all depends on what you're trying to do, but um, I'd say Worf, but he's a TNG character. Because um, I just think that Picardo makes sense because he's a hologram. Per, he could be anywhere. Right. You know? Um, potentially Kira, but... You she's know, you so could, specific, though, what she's doing. You could also stay true to DS9's concept and have it be, they don't go somewhere, somebody goes to them. Yeah, they could go to DS9. Yeah, they could go to DS9. Yeah, but I, I I strongly believe that we're going to get some kind of at least reference to it in dialogue. Maybe they won't go there. Yeah. Maybe we won't see anybody. Yeah. But I think that we will get some because Discovery has. Let's be honest. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Discovery, but the one thing that that show has is good at is definitely throwing in the Easter eggs. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that we're going to see any Ferengi in Picard? I have no doubt. I mean, really? Okay. Um, I think, you know, based on what we've seen for the Picard trailer and just breaking it down, I think that show, you know, while trying to be its own thing and do something new, it's definitely playing into the nostalgia. And mm-hmm. so I I have no doubt that we will see some Ferengi someplace. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested in knowing what the state of the galaxy is. Yes. Yeah. That's an exciting thing. More so than I am in Discovery. Because they're going to be so far in the future. It almost has no... It's too... It's difficult to sort of extrapolate what we could see. Yeah. It would be like, think like... from. We only have Calypso to go. Wait, how far ahead did they go? Like 900 years. Right. So it would be like, you know, think about us, like the year uh, uh, 1100... Yeah, there's, there's to now, no, like you, yeah. if someone could explain it, but you wouldn't be able to put together the you, pieces. You can't, yeah, you just there. you can't conceptualize because it could be anything, and you just can't conceptualize what it could be. And yeah, you'd be like, there's a country on the other side of the earth that you didn't even know was, that there was land there, and it's called America. They're just like, what the hell? Right, I and can't, I can't establish what the hell happened here. And when you look at what Picard's doing, I mean, you have you had three shows that took place in the 24th century, and you had so many events take place. You had the Dominion War. You had, you know, the the destruction of Romulus. And yeah, and it's like, right. It's close enough. All to right. Our like, time. what's what's going? Like, what what's going on? Like, what is the kind of? Because Nemesis doesn't go into the the aftermath of the Dominion War. Voyager doesn't, because Voyager wasn't really in much of a position to do so. So, yeah, I mean, it's they. And it's it's conceivable. You, it, I mean, really, it's conceivable. You could see every single. I don't think we will, but you can see every single character from Next Generation, from Deep Space Nine, and from Voyager on Picard. You could see them all. Yeah. I mean, I highly doubt we're going to get Tom Paris. Thankfully. Or, or um, <laughs> God. Or Nog. I mean, I don't. I don't. Not to downplay their importance, but I just right. 
Yeah, I think what they will probably do is they'll go for the sort of stunt casting first. You know, you got seven the popular guy, you got seven of nine. Yeah. Right? Are we gonna see would we see you know, would maybe we'd see Garrick. I don't I don't know. Or Worf. Worf. I think we'll see Worf. Worf would be popular. I know we're we seeing, already know we're gonna see data. I know we're seeing Riker and Troy, but um Beverly. Yeah. I hope we see Beverly. Yeah, I mean you could you know Chicote, doubtful. Thank God. Um Bolana Torres, mm. She's okay, I guess. Harry Kim, highly doubtful. Supposed to lean in. So boring. So yeah, I mean Quark, I mean, is it, what's he gonna be doing aside from running his bar on DS9? Like, I know, yeah, if he left that would be weird. That'd be a reason that he left. Right. There there are certain characters on those shows that only work in the environments yeah. that they exist in. But here's why Quark might have to leave. There's a Bajoran religious resurgence in the ban alcohol. Maybe. So he has no so he has yeah. to head out and but again, do the raiding thing or whatever. But again, because those three shows were set all together, I mean you yeah, you could conceivably see see every single one of them. Yeah. Will yeah. we? And especially because we have to assume Patrick Stewart probably kept a relationship with most of the main crew, or if not all. Right. Uh, Picard, right. I mean you know. And also it's interesting to me that Seven of Nine is there only because, like, but we never saw. And it seemed like they knew each other. The I mean, I don't know. I'm sure, like, in the, I'm sure, like, in the interweaving years oh, yeah, since yeah. then, they, but, like, there was no. And this is the thing. But it's interesting. I want to see the story behind that. Jerry Ryan was actually approached to appear in Nemesis. Yeah. Right? And she declined because she said Seven, at the, at the wedding of Riker and Droid, she's like, Seven doesn't know. These characters. Why would she even be there? Yeah, that's dumb. But yeah, but right. this makes more sense actually because think about it. Let's say seven to nine is on Earth, right? And let's say Picard is still traumatized deep down from his experience as Locutus. It would make sense that he would talk to her. Yeah, possibly. But yeah, based on the way she talks to him on the, in the trailer, like that tells me they've got some kind of. Yeah. They've got some kind of what are you doing, past relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I think seeing some kind of tie-in. I would love to see some sort of tie-in to Deep Space Nine. I just, I want Deep Space Nine to get validated in this sense. I know Voyager may be the most, the more popular one of those two, but. I don't understand that. I just think that. I still, I still don't believe that. Is that true? Is that like known that Voyager's more beloved than Deep Space Nine. It, it always seemed like that to me, but I don't know if it's the Bizarre. case. It just it felt that that it felt like that. But um, I, you know, it's, I, I still want to say like you know, come on, let's throw DS Nine a bone, yeah. Yeah. Well, Enterprise didn't get the love I expected on Discovery. Enterprise got more love than I like in terms of references. References, way more yeah. than I thought it would. References. Right, but it didn't get like any characters. Yeah. I, I expected. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to see, remember, remember when we went to go see Star Trek Beyond and there was that whole, like, the backstory of the of Edison and he was like, from that era, he mentioned the Zindi and we were like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, yeah, that is, I would that have thought crazy. to myself, like, if anything that's <laughs> never going to get mentioned again, the it's going to be the Zindi. And yeah. then he says, <laughs> the Zindi. And, I'm just, and we, we're just like, <laughs> We were surprised, but like we weren't like giddy. We were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, bro, this indie, cool. I was, you know, like, hey, 
And then they throw in a bunch of enterprise. I mean, he that it was the backbone of that film, really. Yeah. And then tons of it on DS on um, uh, Discovery, and then the Mirror Universe, the Defiant. I'm just like, honestly, okay. This yeah. is and remember the captains that um, he looked at like Saru did, yeah. yeah. Honestly, you know, I, 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 to me, it feels like Enterprise is the most controversial of all those shows and I would think that with that in mind it would probably get the least amount of but for all the continuity wise and whatnot it's the one that's most relevant right. to Discovery especially right and to the other universe uh, the whatever the fuck the Kelvin timeline yeah, yeah. yeah there was the first in the first Abrams film there was a reference to Archer and his beagle and I was yeah. like yeah. the fuck but the Zindi thing was the biggest surprise but what was cool about it was because like when they were watching the footage of that crew I'm like like well, they got the uniforms right, and they got the shuttle pod right. I'm yeah. like, I'm, just, I'm like, wow, I'm actually kind of impressed. <laughs> yeah, they actually got this right. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, I forgot about that. I rewatched that one. And the ship, the Franklin, looked like the NX01. Yeah. Oh, totally. so um, I'm just disappointed that we, you know, we could have seen them on Discovery. We could have seen Paul. Could have seen Flocks. I've said a lot. Right. To Vulcans have a shit ass long time. Right. But and you. So about humans then? Actually, right, and you were looking, you were like stalking her Twitter profile yes. to see if like she was making any kind of cryptic no, tweet. Nothing. <laughs> if uh, it was like doing a lot of yoga <laughs> in the valley. And like, did you say like her last tweet was in like 2012 or something like that? I don't remember. <laughs> well, maybe we'll see. Actually, we could see Jake Cisco. How was that? How about that? On Picard, maybe we could see uh, Jake right. Cisco. Picard has met him before when he dropped him off. Somebody from Picard's new crew could be at Cisco's dad's restaurant eating some Creole in New Orleans. That'd be weird. It'd be awesome. San Francisco to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's Earth. There's no distance anymore. You just be where you gotta go. That's true. Right? So. Why don't they even use uh, uh, hyperlifts? I just think it's a. If they can beam. I just think, like, it's. Just like we have trains, planes, and cars, it's just your preferred method of transportation. Okay. I mean, oh, I'm sorry, elevators, as they're now called. <laughs> nice short trek. <laughs> yeah, you got you were getting mad at that. It's just another one of the little, as you know, the little things that I, drive me crazy. Whereas, like, but we we love those little things, like we just saying how they got the Zindi. And I'm sure they've that. said turbo lift on Discovery multiple times. It's like, how did you get to elevators? And you're on the Enterprise. Right. And, and they you, also and called them turbo And you lifts. said to me, like, did they call them elevators and archers? I'm like, no, they called them turbo lifts. Yeah. <laughs> and that was Because you were trying to, like, oh, maybe they just sounded early. I'm like, yeah. no, nope, they were turbo lifts. I was trying to, yeah, so I, was, I was trying to make it work for them, but <laughs> I was being very generous. And still didn't well, work. hopefully they uh, do Elevator. some. Elevator. Hopefully they do some ADR with that and fix it. And fix it. It could have just, just been an early take. Ugh. You know, they'll did, get. They'll early get take what you. Read the script wrong. They'll get no. I they'll get Rebecca Romaine and do some ADR. It's fine. Never say too. Okay, you're much more generous than I am. Well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> so um, yeah, I think we've definitely gone over time. So, yeah, definitely. Well, um, yeah. So highly recommend when this comes out on Tuesday, um, or if you've pre-ordered it. Yeah, you have Dig it. it. You are getting them now. I was actually surprised that this this came in like Thursday. I was like. And I forgot that I ordered it. So when I came home, I saw it. I'm like, what is that? And then I'm like, oh. Yeah, right. This. All right. Well, so, um, it'll be available. Tweet us. It'll be available on digital on August 
It's like I'm promoing something that's not even mine. It'll be available on digital and on disc on August 6th. Great. So go to your this local Sam Goody and pick Tuesday. it up. God, was it even slow around? <laughs> not at all. Um, at your favorite online, at your preferred online retailers. Yeah, go to Suncoast Video. Yeah. At the mall. Grab one of those. Um, yeah, you can tweet us at in Star Trek we trust, and then at this moment the Trek convention is still happening. Mm. Um, so if anything so big happens, we'll be sure to happens, yeah. bring it to you. Um, Not first, but at some point. At some point, there's every hope of mine that something, a certain captain, will get his own show announced. Um, oh yeah. So I've told you my theory on that is that right now they've got they're like all on the Picard train. Right. And I think they don't want to step on the toes of Picard, and if they're going to announce that, they're going to wait. They're being very cryptic about it, though. I, I still am convinced that behind the scenes it's close to being done or it is done. I don't think it will see an official announcement until like Comic-Con next year time or something. Or New York Comic-Con this fall. I think it'll wait until after Picard premieres. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. What do I know? I'm not um, a and then, promotion. Uh, eventually, um, I do want to do a... Uh, Sort of on this front, I did pick up the novel The Enterprise War. Yeah. Which uh, is great. A great read. So I'm not done. Um, but it's the first Trek novel I actually got excited for. Yeah. So I don't, normally, I don't normally read the Trek literature, so... Yeah, I yeah. know. I know how it goes. Um, I, I hope it works out for you, because my experience with Star Wars was not good. Right. <laughs> because when they made the new movies and there were new novels, I'm like, oh, these actually connected. I was excited, but... And then, I so I'm hoping to post a review of that at some point. And then, um, I think you have some stuff in war, in the works for the blog, right? Yes, I'm Do you want to discuss anything? Nah, there? it'll just show up. Well, do you want to give a taste of what you uh, are, I'm are cooking up? I'm going to argue the bona fides of um, Star Trek as the vehicle of social justice warriors from day one. And right. that my my like disbelief, like Cisco? my disbelief. You can say that now. You can include Cisco in that. I know. Yeah. So my total disbelief that we see this hate from the I don't know alt right or whatever the hell they're called now. Yeah. Saying, "Oh my God, Star Trek! They're social justice warriors. They're trying to give us women and Asians. Mm. This is bullshit. They ruined Star Wars. Now they're ruining Star Trek." And then it's shocking. Um, and then. Hoping that uh, at some point later in the year we can do a discussion about the 40th anniversary of uh, everybody's favorite Star Trek film, the motion picture, yes. which is being re-released in theaters yeah, exciting. for two nights sometime this fall. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I forget the exact dates, but I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to go because I I want to see that movie on a big screen, despite yeah. okay. how so so it is. I mean, I know you said you've attempted. I saw it on a big screen, but it was not that big. And it was right. Was it just a blue? Was it just a blue? Was it just a Blu-ray being projected on a big no screen? No, 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 no. It was at the Brattle, so theater. this is theater in Cambridge. Um, yeah, you left. And it's you left. Well, it was also a school night. I'm a teacher, and it was a school night. It's early, but but you hosted a whole meetup. Well, yeah, I hosted or, the meetup, but I did my job. I met everybody. <laughs> um, and yeah, so they only do film, you know. So yeah, the point is meetup, but this is like this. I have to leave with yeah. them. Yeah. Got like a, I think it was a 35 millimeter print, and the print wasn't in that great shape either. So that might be part of it. I'm sure now it's going to be 
doesn't look very nice. Yeah, I mean, there's talk about it potentially getting a 4K restoration, so it would be pretty good. So um, that may be a good way, that may be a good launch pad to talk about the uh, this uh, movie, this highly controversial Trek film. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you for listening. All right, that's it. Enjoy the doc when you all get a chance to see it.